Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. We're in part four of our profile examining the biblical chronicle of the character of Abraham. That's right, guys. We find ourselves again rolling along in the story of Abraham, and the story just keeps getting deeper and deeper, as they do. And last episode, we finally reached the point where we could rightfully call Abram by his new name, Abraham, as well as Sarah from Sarai. So freeing, right? Yeah, it really was. And we saw that circumcision was instated for Abraham and every male under his roof as a sign for generations to come. And then we saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're all familiar with that and the unfortunate loss of Lot's wife, sons-in-law, and the home that he had built there in Sodom. And now we approach chapter 21 of Genesis where we'll finally get to see the birth of Abraham's first child who was promised. You know, there's Ishmael, now there's Isaac, <laughs> but this is, uh, yeah, this is finally culminating to that, that final anticipation we've been, we've been looking at. The one that we've been waiting for, yes. the one that God said, hey, out of Sarah is going to come a son. And, and Abraham's like, dude, time's ticking. Yeah. I'm 99 years old. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Isaac finally arrives and he's actually, we see a hundred years old when Isaac is yeah. born. Yeah. So that's old. That's that's not making a baby age. <laughs> no, it is here. And while there's no doubt many bumps and bruises on the way to this promise, we see that uh, the wait on God's timing was well worth it. And uh, even Sarah, who once laughed in doubt at the thought of having a child in her old age, is now laughing in joy and in gratitude. As she even says in verse 6, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And it's just it's so cool because it shows the power of God and the miraculous events that come from waiting on him. Yeah. Yeah, and that laughter that she's talking about, that's what Isaac's name is. That's right. Isaac means laughter. So if you're out there and you are named Isaac, or if you know somebody named Isaac, you can laugh along with them. Yeah. <laughs> laugh at them hysterically as they look at you strangely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Check yeah. it out. <laughs> and that's a really cool thing. At the end of this, my uh, my takeaway point is really centered on, on that. Oh, okay. On that with Sarah and the laughter. So, um, yeah, but while the, uh, the previous and long anticipated event of Isaac's birth uh, just unfolded, we're coming also to a very sobering scene um, where... We see that God opens doors in one hand, but he can shut them in another. And we're going to see kind of that situation with Ishmael here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was, back in chapter sixteen twelve. 12, we, we learned that he would be a wild donkey of a man that would be at odds with everyone around him. And his prophesied nature is coming to fruition. And um, Sarah sees the mocking, and she she's not having it. She tells Abraham that he's got to go with his mother. Yeah. So the the story is is that Isaac is born, and he has weaned. And at the end of his weaning, <laughs> uh, Abraham is celebrating because I believe that it speaks of a transference into a new phase where it's like he's no longer a baby. 
scholars debate on how old he is at this point. Some say that he's pretty young still, maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. And what we have to remember that Ishmael is 13 years older, so he's probably around 17-ish. Yeah. And he's just straight up mad dogging him. He's mocking him, yeah. you know, and, and it'd be tough to have a little brother who, you know, little half brother in a sense, because, you know, while he's still Abraham's kids, they're both Abraham's kids. One's mother is Sarah, Abraham's wife. And another one is Hagar, the bondwoman, the Egyptian. And so clearly there might be some division there and, and he's given him the runaround. That's true. And I mean, to think about the climate he had to grow up in with that hanging over his head, because everybody knew, I mean, they had a big following of people that, that traveled with him and whatnot. He, everybody always probably looked at Ishmael as this wasn't the right one. Mm-hmm. And that probably didn't help in the way he acted. Yeah. And, and like you said, he was, he was kind of mocking. Yeah. That's what the Bible says he was doing. He was scoffing. And- yeah. And this, it had to be terribly hard for Abraham because Ishmael, like you said, he was his son. He had grown up alongside Abraham, no doubt developed those precious father-son memories, and Abraham had to have cherished him. And it, this is this is a hard thing, but now the painful consequences of that disobedience has reared its ugly head because God told Abraham to obey the request of Sarai, Sarah now, um, in, in letting them go. Yeah. Which had to be hard. Yeah, she sees Ishmael mocking her son across the room. She comes to Abraham and she goes, we got to do something about it. Yeah. And God, in turn, says, you need to honor what your wife asks. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, for 17 years of his life, he's like, this is my boy. And it said that it really displeased him. It really, um, it really bummed him out. Yeah. And uh, God said to Abraham, don't let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said, do you listen to her voice? For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. And so God reaffirms the promise. He's like, I haven't forgotten him. And Abraham rose early in the morning and he took some bread and he took a skin of water and he said, here you go. Yeah. And he kind of said, there's the door. Yeah. Well, and I, God's, I love how God's faithful. And last time this happened, she ran away and the angel sent her back. Mm-hmm. And this time God's saying, well, now my timing is saying she is going. Mm-hmm. But as we're going to see next, um, he, he comes through again in another way that's kind of like it happened last time. Um, to, because to make the scene sadder, we see that as they leave, Hagar comes to a point where they've run out of resources, it seems, and she puts Ishmael a couple hundred feet away under a tree so she doesn't have to see up close what it looks like for her boy to die. And that's super sad. But um, just like last time with the the pregnancy, an angel comes and and reaffirms, hey, we're still keeping this promise with him, too. Mm-hmm. And I found that really, really cool that God's timing last time said stay. Now it says go, but still I'm watching out for you. Yeah. And, and you know, I was reading a few different things and it talks about the, the resources that Abraham could have and why he didn't send caravans full of food and water while he gave him just bread and a wineskin of water. What, what was the purpose behind that? And, and, 
some of the debate I saw was that um, possibly Abraham said, well, God, I tried to help you out beforehand, and now you're just saying that they're going to survive. I need to believe in that by faith, and so I'm intentionally not going to try to help you out by saying, hey, I'm going to let them go, and you're going to take care of them. You're going to be their uh, sufficiency. I could see it, yeah. And so, I mean, unless that was... he's being a super hard dad and say it builds character, <laughs> I <don't, laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, but, I, yeah, that that makes sense. But you were saying that the angel that reaches out to her, it's uh, another um, possibly appearance of the angel of God, which is yep. a Christophany, which know. is so cool to see these appearances. Yes, makes and, me wonder what what. He, how much he roamed around. I know. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it says that he heard from heaven, but still, I, Jesus is there, yeah. scattered throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. And uh, that's really awesome. And even then, he reaffirms his promise to her about Ishmael. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of him. And he says, lift up your head and open your eyes. And she sees a well. And he's like, you don't have to go thirsty. Yeah. Yeah, a well appears before them, and he makes a way for them all the way to the wilderness of Paran, we're told. And we see that Ishmael did grow up and became an archer and eventually took an Egyptian wife, and all of that did come true. God kept his word and was faithful even to Ishmael, the son born from disobedience. Yeah. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that God often bypasses the firstborn for the secondborn? I've noticed a few cases. Yeah, there's, Joseph, there's several. Joseph's sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. a few different. Yeah, yeah. More uh, profiles to come. Yeah. Hopefully not part fives, but... <laughs> <laughs> the five-parters. This, this, was, this was a big one, but... Um, Jacob and Esau, Cain yes. and Abel. Yeah, there's quite a few yeah. instances. Yeah, yeah so um, then to close the chapter, uh, we see... That Abraham revisits his old acquaintance, King Abimelech, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. And his captain of the guard, Picol. 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 Like yeah, that's how the uh, the strong G25, that's how the guy, <laughs> uh, he says it. He says, Picol. Picol. Nice. <laughs> so, which his name means... Uh, strong or mouth of all or ruling all so i thought that was interesting that's cool i'm yeah. always glad that you bring the names meanings because <laughs> i never i always forget to look at some of that i so. tried to there's there's a few in the later chapters that i haven't gotten to yet so well we do see that abimelech has clearly over the years noticed how greatly god has blessed abraham and he was moved to approach him with a proposition um, in which he reminds Abraham that he so graciously gave him any portion of the land in his mm. region. And uh, here we sit all these years later where Abraham is walking in, in high cotton, and Abimelech's like, you know what, we should strike a deal. Yes. You know? Yeah. And uh, he suggests a covenant of peace between him and Abraham. And Abraham has some small print before <laughs> before he'll agree to it. He's like, yeah, well, there's this well. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'd love to do that, but we, we got a dispute on a well over here, and I don't really like that. So we need to make some things uh, squared away before we'll go through with this. Did he say... I, well, <laughs> nice, nice. But yeah, he. I th- I just found it kind of funny when I read this part. Yeah, it, it's like a businessman type of deal. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I love that when Abimelech even approaches him originally, he says, 
God is with you in all that you do. Mm-hmm. And just the acknowledgement of the people around Abraham um, witnessing that God is is with them and he's in uh, all of his dealings and he's in the way that he's protecting him and he's uh, establishing him. And I mean, to think of that, could somebody say that about us, you know, you or yeah. me or, or you listener, God is with you in all that you do. I think of Joseph, even in the hardest of times, even in prison, even uh, in Potiphar's household, yet everything that he touched because of God's spirit upon him uh, seemed to succeed. Yeah, that's that's some good good application because we have to remember that the world, a lot of times we don't think anybody's really paying attention. They think we're a dorky Christian, but that's actually not true. The world's watching us. Yeah. And to see um, Abimelech had been watching Abraham mm-hmm. and his movements and how he really conducted himself and and all of that. So yeah. that, that's, that's good to point out. And maybe the, the deception of a couple chapters ago. Well, yeah. Well, and he saw he was human. Maybe that's, yeah, worn away a little bit. Yeah, yeah true. True. Yeah, because there's the human factor too. The world knows that. Oh well, I don't know if they do or not, but we're human and we stumble. Well, and yeah, we're real. And, and if you're honest, you'll you'll see that in anybody, no matter what side of the fence you're on. Yeah, because we'd rather be real than be Pharisees. Exactly. Like Pharisees are like, I've never, I've never sinned. I've never stepped in poop. I've never done anything. <laughs> you know, and, and they look and they're like, my my robes are always white. Whereas Christians, for if they're being real, they should say, I. I've sinned. I've yes. fallen short. And yet it's God who's made me clean. God who's changed my life. All those things. Yes. Very true. And so, yeah, they 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 talk about this well. <laughs> and Abimelech's like, I usually know what's going on in my land. I I've never heard of this. Yeah. We said, yeah, well, it's going on. <laughs> we we got to get it settled. Be- <laughs> we got to get it settled before we bring out the U-Lands. Yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and so they they do. Yeah, they uh, after a ceremony and a, a trading of ewe lambs had taken place, um, Abraham and Abimelech struck an understanding of one another. You might say, yeah. And uh, the Hebrew word to swear uh, means to bind by seven things, and so they bring out these seven ewe lambs. And the word uh, seven is saba, and the word swear is seba. So it's like a Seba Saba. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Saba as in Sabbath. Oh, there you go. Yeah. They did exactly what Abraham and God did, except both parties participated this time because they do the, the cutting, the covenant. Yeah. Where they slice the animals in half and then walk in between them. With yeah. the intention of saying, hey, if either of us break this covenant, may this, what's going on on either side of us, happen to the person that breaks the covenant. May you be halved. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Ber- yeah. Ooh. <laughs> and they call the place uh, Beersheba, mm-hmm. which means well of the sevenfold oath. That's really cool. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. To this day, doesn't it say... It's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Which the author at that time is like, oh, yeah, it's still there. Yeah, letting the readers know this is something that has is, is been passed down. Yeah. Pretty cool. And then the last thing we see in chapter 21 is that Abraham plants a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, this place we just discussed, and um, calls on the name of God and dwelled in the land of the Philistines for several days, it says. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know what the meaning behind the tamarisk tree is, but I'm sure there's something cool to be discovered there. I didn't have time to get into that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I read something about it, but I don't quite remember. And I wish I had gone back and done more with that. But I do appreciate that um, as much as Abraham moves around, he is still setting up these places to remember. And I've, I feel like it's another thing to anchor his worship of God in. Yeah. Like a landmark to look back on. Yeah. Something that'll, in later years, you can look on and see as it grows, remember that spot. Yes, for sure. That's what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so that's the that's the close of chapter 21, and uh, we're getting into chapter 22, where um, we're going to see, you know, this is a really heavy-hitting chapter, because um, we see some things that are confusing at first, but now with hindsight, it's pretty evident that this chapter points to um, some very prophetic things. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in this chapter, and it's the only scene identified in the New Testament as a type of Christ in both his death and resurrection, which is found in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. And we're going to get to that probably a couple different times. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do, I would like to note the importance of this chapter in even the Orthodox Jewish circles who don't even believe Jesus is the Messiah. But it's an age-old Jewish tradition that this chapter is reflected on and read on day two of Rosh Hashanah, the New Year festival. And the reason is because of Abraham's binding of Isaac. Um, it became the ultimate example of faithful obedience and self-sacrifice to God. So anyway, you slice it, this chapter is one of great importance. Yes. Yeah, and if you would allow me, I would also like to point out that Isaac is a wonderful type of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because just even looking at their stories, both were specifically promised sons. Yes. Uh, both were born after a period of delay. Yep. Both mothers were assured by God's omnipotence. Uh, they were visited and said, you're going to have a son. Um, both were given names rich with meaning before they were born. By God. Yes, by God. And and one's like, his name shall be called Jesus. And the yeah. other one said, you shall call him Isaac. Uh, both births occurred at God's appointed time. Uh, both births were miraculous. And then uh, both births were accompanied by joy. And so that's clearly not the only yeah. uh, parallels that we're going to see between Isaac and Jesus. But just going back even to the birth of Isaac, yeah, there's so many types of um, parallels that we can find between him and Jesus, especially as we rush into this uh, just cornerstone chapter. And also, you know, Isaac was referred to as the object of Abraham's love. Mm. And Jesus, too, was considered the object of his father's love in Matthew 3 and Luke 3. Yeah. And um, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. A lot of connections to be made. And like you said, there's, there's a lot more that we could get into. And we'll mm-hmm. probably touch on them as we go. Yeah, yeah, because 22 is a powerhouse chapter. It really is. So, verse 1. we immediately see that God calls out to Abraham and Abraham's response was here I am which is an answer that we continue to see Abraham give throughout this portion of the story. It's it's kind of a unique answer mm-hmm. that he is kind of uh, unique to chapter 22. Yeah. 
And um, one commentator notes that the answer Abraham gives, here I am, is not one stating his mere presence, but a statement of availability. So the idea is, yes, Lord, I'm listening and prepared to do whatever it is you're about to ask me to do. Hmm. Um, It's a response um, seen throughout Scripture in, in characters like Moses, Samuel, and Isaiah. And Abraham is ready to do whatever comes after this um, this answer from God. And to say it is a tall order would be an understatement. Yeah. What's yeah. coming. That's funny because it's exactly almost what I had in my notes. Because I was like <laughs> Isaiah, Samuel, and countless others throughout uh, church history indicating yeah. their obedience to the yeah. highest order saying, I'm available. Yeah. You know, it's not just a present, (laughs) you know, it's a, what do you need from me? Who who shall go for us? Here I am, Lord, send me. Yes, exactly. It's this character type we see in these, in these um, men of great faith. Yeah. It's, I see it as like the, you know, here's a line in the sand. If you're, if you're willing to step forward, you know, and take on the the mantle, take on the responsibility, step over this line. And I could just see Mm -hmm. Abraham at every time going. You know, he's yeah. jumping right over that barrier saying, I'm available. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And as we go, did you have anything else, Josh? I, I wanted to point out that in verse 1 of chapter 22, uh, at least in the New King James Version, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And that's when he said, here I am. Mm. And this testing is going to reveal a lot of things. And I wanted to talk a little bit about these tests because this was not a test to produce faith, but like I just said, it's a test to reveal faith. God had been building up Abraham for a while for this test, basically his whole walk with him. And and it's wild because this test really seemed to contradict a previous promise that he'd made because um, as we look at it, he'd already promised in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yes. And so you're going, okay, where is this coming from? Yeah. But I I appreciate, and just to get into a little application just as we get rolling, um, God only tests us when we're ready for that specific test. Like it's, he wouldn't be taking a day one believer and going, uh, I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to call you to do something right here. Yeah. You don't um, send the preschoolers to learn calculus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I, I feel like there's so much hope in God saying, Hey, I'm only going to give you what I know you can handle and what I believe that you can pull through with. Yes. And for Abraham, he'd been enrolled in the school of faith for a long time. You think about the family test originally, where it was like, hey, come out of Ur of the Chaldees, leave your family. And then he had the famine test. Yeah. And we see what happened in the Negev. And then he had the fellowship test with Lot and the land. And he's like, choose the best thing. And then he had the fight test. And he had to go and uh, raise his warriors and go out and save Lot. And then he had the fortune test, where the king of Sodom was like, Take it all. Just give me the people. Yeah. And then he had the fatherhood test, which we know he failed because Ishmael. Yep. <laughs> and then he had the farewell test, which he passed with a broken heart because he had to say goodbye to Ishmael and Hagar. Mm-hmm. And so now we've arrived at this new test. And I feel like that's what we're going through with God is is a lot of times those tests are to reveal our faith, but they're also to perfect our faith, like James says. They're mm-hmm. to... Um, producing us more trust in him like peter says and uh i just i think it's so neat and this is a doozy for sure it is and i have a feeling as we get into the details of this test 
there's it's brought up in multiple spots throughout tra- chapter 22 so there's probably going to be some jumping ahead and going back yeah. and discussing some yeah. of these details but i like that that's it's the whole muscle must be torn to be built mm-hmm. um, very good okay so um i'm gonna go ahead and just read verses two through three is that cool absolutely all right and this is god speaking Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. Okay, so... You got questions, listener. I know. <laughs> I do, too. And as we study this and, and we go through this, we're going to answer, um, hopefully, most of those. So, I, But real quick, before we get into it, I want to take note of um, his response. It, it's instant obedience. Mm-hmm. And, and I said it was a tall order. That's a tall order. Yeah. I mean, if you just really think about what we just asked there. And I think back to his previous responses when God was promising to give Abraham Isaac, and Abraham was second-guessing God, it seemed, at every turn, Mm -hmm. uh, even to the point when he tried to fast-track it with Ishmael. And um, here we see an instant obedience when God asked him to sacrifice his boy, this promised boy. And the reason I believe is that Abraham is a wiser man now than he was in those previous years where he doubted. Mm -hmm. His faith has grown um you like you said it was it was been perfected more than it was Mm -hmm. and i think abraham knew god was up to something more than what it sounded like and we're actually fixing to get into that in a minute uh just hang tight but we have abraham headed towards um this mountain where he's gonna do these things that were just asked and i I know i kind of want to stop uh for a minute and discuss um some prophecy stuff here but josh you got anything yeah, I wanted to mention, because some people just brought this out of left field, saying, uh, human sacrifice? Yeah. It's kind of unheard of with God so far, and um, it's not unheard of with the pagan gods of the area. Yes. And so it's like, where are we going with this? And, and of course, stay with us, because God's going to give himself an opportunity to be set apart. Yeah. But just looking at this from the outside looking in, you're like, Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> did you change? Because <laughs> you know it got re- it yeah. escalated quickly. True, and I saw some of that too. Some of the scholars are saying, "Well, this was a pagan practice, and God was like, I'm talking to him on his level because he used to be a pagan." I don't think so. Um, I and I've even seen some of these documentaries that Nat Geo comes out with and stuff, and it was like, "Well, the Bible actually was just a morphed pagan religion." Oh my goodness! It, they they kind of take that road a lot, but that that's not what's happening here. Hmm. But just to go back for a second, we have Abraham headed towards this particular mountain in the land of Moriah. And I really just want to stop for a second and soak in some spine-tingling prophecy for me. Uh, Ancient historian Josephus refers to this particular mountain as the Mountain Moriah and confirms it to be the very mountain um, that King David slash Solomon's temple was built on. Hmm. I saw that in numerous, numerous spots. But um, currently, that's going to be the 37-acre tract of land where the Temple Mount sits. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard in, in the past it's the most coveted piece of property on planet Earth. And um, it would also place this area in the exact region where Jesus was crucified. Some would even say um, the exact spot that Jesus was crucified. I don't know. 
I think it might have been. I don't know. <laughs> I do too. I, I really do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you want to talk about premeditation. God's plan for redemption is so evident to see throughout history. I really don't know what to say to skeptics. I mean, you, to, you can't make this stuff up. Yes. With the greatest talent in story writing today, much less with people writing on animal skins and papyrus 4,000 years mm-hmm. ago. This history of Mount Moriah to Jesus and those connections, I get goosebumps every time I even think about it. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> and considering that Moriah means foreseen of Jehovah, and so, I didn't even know that. Yeah. The, it's, the cherry on top. It's foreshadowing. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, this whole chapter, you know, and I hope you already know the story of the chapter. And if you don't, then hang with us because we're yeah. going to reveal all of it. But this whole chapter is virtually God calling his shot 2,000 years into the future. Yeah, for real. And, and to take him to that spot where Jesus was going to be crucified and then to do what we're fixing to see. Mm-hmm. Just, it's fantastic. Yes. So anyway, uh, that's, that's all I wanted to park on for that little portion. And, uh, the next thing I, I had is, um, Abraham, the servants and Isaac, they get to a place as they're traveling there to this, this Mount Moriah or mountains in the land of Moriah. And they see, um, off in the distance, the spot, Mm-hmm. the spot and Abraham tells his servants to wait there because him and the boy are going to worship and yet again it's very interesting that he says they will be back mm. Abraham says him and the boy will be back and if he knows that he's going to kill Isaac he obviously wouldn't be coming back with him mm. so we've got that in play unless of course he thought that he would be raised from the dead which would take us to Hebrews eleven nineteen. yeah so um and, and I'll just go ahead and read that real quick. He, speaking of Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which he also received him back as a type. And from what I gathered from the scholars, this speaks to Abraham believing something along the lines of Isaac being resurrected as a symbol or type. Um, I do have a little bit more on that in a minute, but it seems to me that Abraham truly believed um, what he told the servants, that they were going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, to speak to um, just a couple of verses ago where he had to get the donkey saddled and he had to get the wood cut, I feel like Abraham did that himself going... Okay, God has given me specific instructions. I'm acting on those. I'm probably a nervous mess because of the edict he's given me. And yet Abraham is following through in obedience. And then as they're heading to Mount Moriah, as you said, it says, then on the third day. Yeah. And again, if you're uh, anything in the Bible, your bells are going off going, hmm, this sounds more like another Jesus tie-in. Yes. Because all of a sudden they've arrived at this place uh, of the skull, you know, Golgotha, very same similar area. And I love the fact that, you know, even um, I think it is the uh, New King James Version says, the boy and I are going to go yonder (laughs) to worship. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Out yonder. Yeah, we're going to go to worship, but we're going to come back. And, And he loads Isaac up with the wood. And he says, here, carry this. And yet Abraham is carrying the fire and the knife. And this is what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon said, Abraham took the knife up the hill. He didn't leave it behind or claim to forget it. 
That knife was cutting into his own heart all the while, yet he took it. Unbelief would have left the knife at home, but genuine faith takes it. Wow. Because there it was. And and not only was it going to be the object of Isaac's demise, it was at that moment the object of Abraham's destruction. I mean, it was it was killing him. Yeah, that's true. And Isaac bearing bearing the wood yeah. of his sacrifice, yeah. just like Jesus. Yes, which I have more on yeah, the, yeah, in a yeah, minute. Yeah. yeah, but of course Isaac looks around and he goes, "Well, we've got wood and fire." Yeah, you know. And, and real quick too, just as you were talking about this, it popped in my head. Um, some people talk about self-fulfilling prophecy, where you make it happen so that people look back on it. This stuff right here, the the third day, all of that, that was recorded by secular histories about the third day and stuff with mm-hmm. Jesus in some cases. And then we have, you know, none of that could be self-fulfilling. So this is tangible, miraculous prophecy. Here. Yes. Because this was written way before, 2,000 years before that. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so anyway, I just, that's really cool. Yeah, you're saying it's not like circular fulfillment. Well, sometimes, uh, and we talked about this with Jesus being a legend or somebody that tried, like, say he recognized that, hey, I was born in the right tribe, let me ride this this and make these things happen that I know I can make happen. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with some of this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just I thought that was cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so Isaac again says, we got all this, where's the offering? And I love Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Or if you're uh, a King James Version reader, it says God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of pastors that are like, it doesn't have to say much more than that because it's really literally saying it right there. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought that was really cool. I did find something on that. Um, God will provide here. Um, it, I did see some debate also on the translation. Uh, some scholars were saying the problem with Abraham saying God will provide would contradict the idea that Abraham anticipated a resurrection of Isaac or insinuate that he was telling him a, a lie in order to evade telling him what was fixing to happen. Mm. Um, some scholars say that the literal translation would be God is providing the lamb, uh, meaning Isaac were headed up the mountain with the sacrifice God is providing, as oh. in it's you. So I saw that some scholars said that, that was the proper translation. I kind of, in my mind, my only thing with that is I didn't find other instances where that worked mm-hmm. with that word, Hebrew word. But anyway, that's, that is some, uh, I think the message either way is not compromised at all with, with either translation. Yeah. But yeah. I saw some of that too. And I, I did see something else too, if you don't mind me going back no, for a second. Um, one thing I, I noticed again is this response of Abraham saying, here I am, when Isaac asks him what's going on, except this time he's not answering God, he's answering his son. Mm. And for me, I'm getting the feeling that Abraham knows that this is this is going to be the biggest test ever laid upon him. And he's committed himself in obedience in such a way that he's set his face like flint, not looking to the left or right, just like this thousand-mile stare. 
He's yeah. just like, he's headed towards this task. And sometimes this is all we as believers can do when we're facing the biggest giant tests of our lives. We don't have the luxury of second guessing the process. We just have to keep moving forward with a complete childlike trust that God is going to provide um, whatever that provision may look like. Mm -hmm. And um, that's precisely what God does here um, in all senses of the translation of the Hebrew word. He provides. Yes. Yeah. Um, the next thing is uh, they get to the spot and uh, they came to the place where God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Yeah. And again, when you think about how old Isaac would have to be, this is like 25 to 30 years after the last chapter. So Isaac, a lot of scholars believe that he's in his early 30s oh, at really? this point. Yeah. Oh, I saw some that said a lot younger than that. But hes I, I saw that he was definitely of the age where he could fight back and get away. Yeah. 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 I mean, so let's just say that it's 25 years. Let's say that it's 30 years. Let's say that it's even less. No matter what, teenage, you know, yeah. adolescent or teenager, he could still be like, Dad, yeah. I'm not letting you put the ropes on me. Yeah. And then load me up onto this altar. This is this is weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've taught me all these times on how to make a sacrifice. Where's the animal? Yeah. Well, and Abraham's in his hundreds. So mm. I mean that it wouldn't be hard for him to fight back and um he was likely terrified, but Isaac didn't fight back from what we can gather. He was willing, mm -hmm. and which speaks, you know, to a lot. Right the parallels. There. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's something I noticed, too. That's mm -hmm. really cool uh, and terrifying at the same time. Very, just this whole test. Yes. All right. So um, shall we read verses 10 through 12, Josh? Yeah, please. Okay. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. There it is again. He said, Do not stretch your hand out against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And we see that behind Abraham is a ram caught in the thicket, and it was put there in place of Isaac to be sacrificed. Mm -hmm. I have a few things that I'd like to talk about there, Josh, but what are you, uh, what, what are you seeing? Oh, I just, I love the faith. I mean, to be a, a fly on the rock there, <laughs> just to watch how this all went down, because, you know, it's hard to... It, to me, it's hard to dramatize it in my mind as I read it out loud. And the more that I read it over and over again, the more I try to get a real picture and a real sense of what it was like, mm -hmm. of the anguish that he would have as he's holding that knife, as he's raising it, as he's still doing it by faith, going, hey, if this plunges down, I still believe that my son is walking down this mountain with me in one way or another that God has shown himself so faithful that he is going to raise him back up from the dead. Yeah. And uh, I just love that, again, that angel of the Lord seems to imply that it's actually Jesus there saying, hey, you hold back. You know, we see that you trust us. You, we see that you're with us and you don't have to go through with this. And uh, just that last second um, salvation, that last second intervention. Yes, 
Very cool. And I also wanted to mention on um, when you said verse 13, and Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And I love the fact that from this point, he named this little hill that they're on Mount Provision, which is named after this new name that he has for God, uh, which is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide my provider. And uh, I just, I find that such a comforting name considering the context that it's in. Because uh, I know we've got all these parallels and we keep mentioning them and we, we kind of give you glimpses of them. But I have a whole list that we're going to talk about and you probably do too towards the end of this. But um, God will provide. And that's what he does 2,000 years later when we need a hero, we need a substitute to stand in the gap for our sin that we could never pay for. Mm-hmm. He provided that. And uh, just, it's so cool that even Isaac going, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And yeah. Abraham being able to say, without a shadow of a doubt, God's going to give something. He, yeah. He's got it waiting in the wings. And, and, I feel like we need to be cautious on how we use that term, yeah. Jehovah Jireh. Yes, I, I agree. Something that's really struck a, a chord in my heart is um, people using that to say, um, if you work hard enough, God's going to bless you with things and mm-hmm. stuff. God will provide you with tangible things. And that this Jehovah Jireh is not speaking of that. Yeah, it has that little connotation that the Lord helps those who help themselves yes. or, you know. Uh, <laughs> but the the provision here is the, the ultimate treasure that we could n- never compare to any of that. Yeah. He's provided Christ on, this is all prophetic. This was, it was yes. a window into the future. Earlier in the chapter, it gave us a sneak peek to this moment. And this moment's giving us a sneak peek to Jesus. Yes, there is a pastor named Paul David Washer who has some very strong words on this. He said, please don't ever use those words out of context. Don't talk to me about a house that God gave you and say Jehovah Jireh. Don't talk to me about a new car you got and say Jehovah Jireh. That will infuriate me. Yes. (laughs) Jehovah Jireh applies to a substitution and a redemption. He gave us a redeemer. He provided the lamb. Yep. Don't, you know. I I love uh, Pastor Washer's whole take on that. Yeah, and I can. He said a few things about that. There's (laughs) times where there's things where I'm like, I have righteous indignation, you know, and you get upset because you're like, you're you're taking something that is so precious to God and meant to be um, very holy in the context of like Jesus coming to die for our sins. And we don't want to turn that into like, I won the lottery or, or something yeah. silly like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's speaking of the sacrifice mm-hmm. yes. for us. Yes. So God is our sufficiency. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. No, we could we could um carry on with this for, for days. Mm-hmm. It's such an important thing to see. Yeah. Okay, so um I'm going to go ahead and read verses sixteen through nineteen. Um it contains some application that I saw. So here we go. 
because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, this is God talking to Abraham, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as of the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And before I point out the application that I noticed, I'd like to real quick um, look at this word seed. We have been seeing these reoccurring affirmations of God's promise to Abraham, and the consistent thing we keep seeing is that Abraham will have many descendants of which will take possession of a region of land. But here we see something a little deeper prophetically, as one scholar notes the following. The usage of seed quote-unquote, appears to refer to an individual who will bless the whole world. This is evident in that the pronoun referring back to that seed is singular. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what he's pointing out Mm -hmm. here. Um, It's kind of almost a play on words, in in English anyway, Mm -hmm. because you, you would think his seed, you're talking about all the nations. It's talking about to an individual within that Yes. Descendant, you yeah. know. So I thought that was really cool. It's it's a, a post Melchizedek form of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Is what I gathered. Exactly. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting to mention that these are the last recorded words from God to Abraham here. Mm. He said, You passed the test. Yeah. And I'm going to reaffirm my promise to you once again. And I love that um, way earlier in the chapters, uh, he had taken Abraham out in the vision and he said, look at the stars. Yeah. And he goes, okay. And then later on in another vision, he said, consider the sand. And now in this um, reaffirming of the promise, he goes, remember the sand and the stars. And uh, he just goes, I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants. And and in in your seed, all the nations shall be blessed, like you said, Mm -hmm. um, referring to Jesus. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. And then just real quick for some application that um, piqued my interest in verses 16 through 18. This really came out of left field on me, but... Um, It's something that stood out, and I just had to mention it. So um, it's a topic we've danced around um, in a few different episodes, and the idea uh, is that once saved, always saved, if we abide. Mm. And I had mentioned this previously last episode, this balance of faith in God's saving work met with our work of obedience. And I find it very confirming that at every point where Abraham has accomplished a task of obedience, God keeps reaffirming his promise that's going to be fulfilled. And in verse 16, God says, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. And so God, in in a way, is saying, if you abide this balance of faith and works, not that any of it is accomplished in our ability, but it's the obedience, no matter how silly the task of obedience may seem, is met with God's continued faithfulness that meets us even when we fail. This, I believe, is one of the most difficult concepts for us Christians to balance, and I've certainly gathered this by simply growing up and being exposed to so many different denominations where lines are drawn in the sand in almost a combative way. But being snake birds, balance being key, I felt that this was some pretty cool application of seeing he's abiding if you abide, mm. that type of thing. So I, I that came out of me pretty hard. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So anyway, uh, after this uh, mountaintop experience, uh, we see Abraham and Isaac return to the men who were waiting. 
and uh, we're told that they returned to Beersheba, didn't they, Josh? Where yeah. They, where they live. Yeah, where Sarah goes, you did what? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you said, huh? <laughs> Can I see that knife? <laughs> yeah, I'll slit your throat. <laughs> And then uh, just the end of the chapter really more talks about uh, Abraham's uh, brother, Nahor. And I I don't think we need to go into that because this is Abraham's profile. But yeah. Uh, yeah. The the genealogy mm-hmm. we see. I did actually have two things oh, about that um, yeah. that I thought were interesting. Make me look like an idiot. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know you are. But um, another out of left fielder here, uh, this genealogy, it almost seems out of place at the end. For me, it did when I stumbled Mm -hmm. on it. But um, who, why on earth is this genealogy here? So I I did look at the the commentators, and um, one said that the thematic reason for this genealogy was to anticipate the death of Sarah and. Uh, in the mention of Rebecca, which revealed the unquestionable transition um, to the next matriarch and provide transparency of the continued viability of the Abrahamic covenant. A lot of big words there, but basically <laughs> that, that was the thematic reason. And press rewind if you want to hear that again. But the theological reason would be the genealogy pointed to Abraham's righteous desire not to find a Canaanite wife for Isaac. Mm. And that's that's a whole nother part of the story. And honestly, next episode, when we tie all this up, uh, we'll probably touch here and there, but Isaac's another profile. Yeah. So we'll be probably hop, skipping, jumping a few yeah. here's and there's. But uh, anyway, I thought that that was, because when I came across that, sometimes I go to spots in the Bible and you, you're like, why is this here? This doesn't make mm. sense. It's like, why do mosquitoes exist? You just, <laughs> you come to these spots, but it is there for a reason. It's like an old timey news feed. There's like, beep, 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 beep. Meanwhile, yeah. over in, and, you yeah. know, in Abraham's brother's side of the things, let yeah. me tell you about a little girl named Rebecca who's coming up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is there for a reason. And I, I, I thought I'd point out oh, the, definitely. the thematic and theological reason yeah. that that was there. Yeah. Man, and she's got a brother that we will eventually talk about. Nahor? <laughs> no. No. Oh, no. Wrong character. <laughs> yeah. Isn't his name Nabin? Na- uh, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what, we'll study that later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've only been reading the Bible for half my life. <laughs> Laban. Oh man. Yes. That, it was on the tip of my tongue. I was like, it sound drop, but it doesn't. She's got a brother named Laban who, uh, Laban. Nahor <laughs> was the one that my wife was going to call me, right? Like episode two of this. Because he's a snorer. He's the snorer. Yeah, the mouth breather. Yes, the mouth breather. (laughs) That's That's right. right. I was way off. (laughs) Laban, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a a character. He really is. He's untrustworthy. We'll get to that. Yes. Okay, well, um, I've I've got some some takeaway for me, and I know you probably too. I do as well, yes. Okay. Uh, why Why don't you take it, Josh? Okay. Um, you know, there's so many things to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to talk about a few more of the parallels between Isaac and Jesus and this whole story about how 
to me, it really is a precursor to the crucifixion. It's a precursor to what God wanted to show. And we find that so often in the Old Testament that the Old Testament is a picture of a New Testament principle. And so uh, a few more um, correlations or a few more parallels is that the Father and the Son acted together because uh, more than two times in the narrative, it says they went both of them together. And so you're speaking of Abraham and Isaac side by side, walking into this agreement together, walking into this situation together. Mm. And then it also says um, another parallel is that the son had to die, that there was going to be a sacrifice. And Isaac goes, where's the lamb? And then you fast forward 2000 years later, And you see John the Baptist going, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the whole world in John 129. And then the son bore the burden of sin. The wood here is mentioned five times in this story. And Isaac didn't start carrying the wood until he arrived at Mount Moriah. The wood is not a picture of the cross, for Jesus did not carry his cross all the way to Calvary. Instead, the wood seems to be a picture of the burden of sin that Jesus bore for us, because it says, Abraham took the wood and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And then we see in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, the Lord has laid upon him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Mm-hmm. And then... The last thing I'll say is that the son was raised from the dead. For Isaac, it was figuratively, Jesus said, stop, don't don't kill him. And then next thing you know, here comes in newness of life, Isaac walking down the mountain. But for Jesus, it was literal. He, he faced that sacrifice. And, and I love that God knew it wouldn't be righteous for, for Abraham to, to slay his son that he wasn't about human sacrifice that's not the point and the pagan people around abraham would have been like oh well who is your god because that doesn't represent him but jesus and, and god had worked this plan of redemption out years in the making after Adam and Eve fell. And so this plan was in place. And I just love that this picture is there for hopefully Jewish people to see. You know, as you talked about this um, being recognized in Rosh Hashanah, I pray that when the veil is lifted, that maybe they'll have those goosebump moments like we have going, yes. oh my gosh, that picture's yeah. there. Yeah. And and Father Abraham and, and his son Isaac were, um, in a sense, putting on a theatrical display of what would come exactly. between God the Father and Jesus Christ uh, on the cross, on, on Golgotha, on Calvary. Yeah, so. and you know, I, it's funny how people automatically take it to those those things about about was this human sacrifice? But I, you ever think about maybe that was there for a future reader? Mm-hmm. You know, like like there's there's prophecies that says close up the book and for a further you know generation. Yeah, I think that's what that was. Yeah, it was never about human sacrifice. It was about. Jesus. Yes. And and okay, so that ties in just to another snippet of application that I have is that God might ask you by faith to do something that seems out of the normal, just like he did here with Abraham, but look what it signified in the long run. So maybe he's asking you to do something and I don't know what it might be, 
But are we going to act like Abraham did and, and obey by faith? Or are we going to try to make excuses? Or are we going to try to bargain with God? Well, I don't need to do that. Maybe I can do this. I don't know what that looks like in our lives. Maybe it's just reading our Bible at our, our you know, our lunch break uh, in the break room at work. Maybe it's um, sending somebody a, a card with the gospel written out in it. Maybe it's just saying to somebody, Jesus loves you. There's a lot of different um, out-of-the-box ideas that God might put on our heart. And we have to have the faith to be open to them and to, to put those things into motion because otherwise, there's an opportunity that you may not even know that, that you're going to have for a person to miss. That's so true. That fits perfectly into my application. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, take it away, please. I was going to uh, go back and highlight some of that. You did such a good job with that that I'll, I'm going to skip that and jump straight into that segue. Um, when I read the portion of Scripture in chapter 21-6, where Sarah had changed her laughter of doubt into laughter of joy and amazement from the miracle of having Isaac at 90, I couldn't help but think of a moment that's frozen in my own memory where I, too, laughed at uh, the idea that God would do something in my life. And I would like to share um, this testimony here for any ears out there that might be moved by it um, in my own life. So... When I was about 28 years old, I had an experience with God that started to change me, and these changes took effect over the next couple of years. My wife took notice of them, but I still had some limitations in my own head of what exactly God was doing. And I vividly remember this one night where I was talking with Vanessa about God's Word, and she looked at me and smiled, and she said, "'Someday you're going to preach.'" And I remember literally laughing out loud. And I told her it was a ridiculous idea because of certain factors in my life, including the public speaking was a huge fear for me, and uh, there's some other things too. And she just smiled and she said it again, someday you're going to preach. And fast forward about two years later, I find myself at a very small church that had been praying for another servant. I had been praying for a true family in Christ. And less than a year later, I found myself in the bathroom of that same church, looking myself in the mirror, completely terrified because I was fixing to preach a sermon behind the pulpit. And I asked God in that moment, Lord, whatever happens in the next hour, I give it to you. And I admitted there was simply nothing at that moment that I could offer except for complete surrender of my vessel for his use. And then I flushed the toilet, so if someone was waiting on me, <laughs> they thought I was actually in there for the right reason. And then I proceeded to watch a sermon come forth from my lips as I tuned in and out of my own thoughts. And before I knew it, the closing prayer had come. And after that sermon, I was approached by several brothers and sisters. They said they were moved by it and, and gave me some kind words. And over the next month, that sermon accumulated over 1,600 listens on the church's podcast platform, where the average listen was about 50. And before I go any further, I want to make it very clear that I'm not bragging here. Because, listener, if you knew me, the real me, the person I am outside of Christ, you would know that I could never have pulled any of that off. But looking back on this moment, all these years later... God has finally revealed to me what he did in that sermon in my life and also that era of my life. I thought I was going to be 
I thought I was being called to be a, a pulpit minister after that first sermon. But as the years have passed, it's very clear what God did in that moment in my life. And he was telling me from that moment two years prior where I laughed at the idea that I can never be used as a preacher. God was telling me, don't you ever doubt me again. Don't you ever doubt my ability to accomplish my will in whoever I choose to use. And guys, I've listened, you know, I've shared this sermon in detail with a couple of people, and it honestly didn't mean much to them. But looking back on this situation, I'm brought to tears because I know how powerful God is, regardless of my doubts and who I am or who I could be in Him. So, listener, this is my encouragement to you. If you're having any doubts in your life that seem too big for God, then know this. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. And don't laugh at the impossibility like Sarah did, like I did. Reach for God and He will exalt you for His glory. Mm. And so I just wanted to share that testimony because it was something that meant a lot for me. It was a miracle in my life. And um, I saw it in Sarah in that portion where she laughed. And then later yeah. that laughter turned into joy. <laughs> it got real. It did. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm glad that you shared that. Yeah, there's just so much in Abraham's life. And we uh, are so close to being done. Yeah. I think we need one more part. Because we're already at another good, I believe, stopping point. And yeah. so bear with us. Uh, the next one, we will definitely finish. And <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to gather the last glimpses of his life in the Old Testament. And then flash forward to some of the mentions of his uh, impact in the New Testament. And um, really just summarize everything that we can glean from him and talk about, man, what a huge profile and, and yeah. impact he's been. And we promise we will wrap it up the next week. Yeah. And so <laughs> when we, I think on the first episode, we were discussing if it was going to be a two or three parter. Yeah. yeah. My, how we've aged since then. Yeah. Things have evolved. <laughs> I was asking Josh earlier, I was like, when we did David, we, you know, we did that in two episodes. Like, what were we thinking when we said two episodes yeah. for this guy? <laughs> I, and I said, we were very green because yeah. we probably didn't drill down as much as we did, especially with uh, a, a character like Abraham. Yeah. But I, I'm glad we're doing it. And I, we, I hope that you're remaining uplifted and seeing all of the application that we're gathering from his life. And uh, we're glad that you guys are with us and, and hanging with us. Yeah. And so um, please, <laughs> if you have any characters that you want profiled and, and probably more in like a one or two parter for sure, yeah. uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd, uh, appreciate you sending us a message on Facebook. You can send one directly or you can even comment on our page or you can email us directly at connect at basnakebird.com and we just love for you to join the con conversation and be part of the community. Yeah. And um, guys, if you find it in your heart, um, share us, subscribe, like, whatever. If you leave us a review and a five-star rating on your podcast platform, the algorithms pushes the podcast out there to more ears. It's about the gospel. We, we keep saying that. We don't want to sound all trendy and like, share, and subscribe, but it, it would mean a lot to the show if you could just take that little extra time and do that. Yes, it goes a, a long way. 
So we really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we want you to always remember whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, it's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be a snake bird. As a sign for uh, many, man, I wrote this real jacked up. Golly. <laughs> I must have been high on Pepto-Bismol or something when I did this. Let me see. I put finale instead of finally. Uh, and then I just stopped that sentence. <laughs> cool. Okay. Last... <laughs> And this that's a really cool thing. At the end of this, my uh, my takeaway point is really centered on on that. Oh, okay. On that with Sarah and the laughter. So Holy laughing. Yeah. Well <laughs> not that, but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, that's funny. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agreed with it for a second. Yeah, just flow with it. So anyway you slice it, this chapter is one of great importance. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> And be a, a snake, snake bird. bird. Oh my gosh, I said snake bird. <laughs> <laughs>